When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnell. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Dave DeFour, and it's Friday, and that means only one thing. It's Nerder, she wrote. Joining me as they do each and every week, Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. What's up, fellas? What's up, Dave? This is the part where we pretend like we didn't just spend 15 minutes talking about Young Guns and Young Guns 2, two of the best movies ever made. We, we need a third, honestly. Let's just... No, we don't. Don't. No, we don't. Because uh, then they're going to do something stupid and ruin it. Like the Godfather 3. Young where they're going to do space. Some, you know? Right. Like they're going to do something. Th- we're going to get the band back together and they're all old. Or whatever. We don't need that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that would actually be kind of cool. They uh, did I, a great job with 2 ending it. Yeah. I, I felt uh, really like the show Party Down. And I finally got around to watching the new season. And surprisingly, after all this time, they nailed it. So maybe... You know, Emilio Estevez could. You know, I like you pitching this stuff during a writer strike as well. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, pay, man. Pay oh. your writers. Pay your writers so I can get Young Guns 3. That's what we need. Guys, we're going to get a game six somehow in the Eastern Conference Finals. The The Boston Celtics just will not go to sleep and take a nap so the Miami Heat can go to the NBA Finals. They were up 3-0. Miami Heat were. And now Boston's won two in a row. Are you worried yet, guys, if you're Miami? I don't know if worried is the concern. I think, you know, um, nervous might be a thing a little bit. I think uh, concerned, better word, actually. I think you're concerned if you're the Heat. I don't think you're worried yet. You're obviously, I think, unless we think Boston is like seven points better, neutral floor than the heat, which incidentally uh, Boston's uh, season long point differential was 6.8 points better than Miami's. But I don't think that that's, that's totally representative, at least of Miami. Um, unless we think they're about seven points better, like they're still a favorite. Um, it's still, if, if it's sort of, if it's anything closer than that, they're a pretty substantial favorite, probably about two to one, uh, I, I would say to advance, but you can't be happy about where you are. Uh, you certainly have to worry about Gabe Vincent coming back. Not just like Gabe Vincent himself, but also it's sort of you uh, in the past. We've, we've made jokes about Miami. You scratch the surface of their lineup and all of a sudden you get a lot of Gabe Vincent and Max Drews. Well, now that Gabe Vincent and Max Drews have been good players for them. Now you scratch the surface and you get a lot more minutes of Kyle Lowry and having to go to Cody Zeller and Haywood Highsmith and things start to become worrisome. Well, Mo talked and I talked about this on the ding uh, last night. Haywood Highsmith gave him good minutes. They were he better did. than the Kevin Love minutes because it was just another athlete. And, and, you know, he went three or four from three in the game, which is not bad. But 
you know, next man up sort of thing tends to make Miami play better somehow. Um, obviously they were missing Gabe Vincent. I thought in game five, they just didn't have another guy out there with juice off the dribble. I mean, it just, I mean, it, go ahead, Seth. No, they're down three guards. I mean, you think yeah, about right. it, they're down hero and, and we think that on balance, like the, both the hero and Oladipo injuries have, have helped them. But at a certain point you go too deep into, into the bag. And I think that they're probably like the third injury was probably reaching that point. And I think the, the other side of it, like Malcolm Brogdon didn't play. He's hurt with the tendon injury. I think it's made things a little bit more clear for Boston in terms of who should play and when and whatnot because less options. But when you look at a situation for Miami, like I said, said like there's no guards now, right? Like when you sub out Kyle Lowry, who's running the offense, right? Like with Gabe Vincent on the bench and street clothes, you're in a difficult position in those things. So now it's almost like getting thinner and thinner. And that's why I always say, like, you got to take care of business the earlier as you can because you don't know who's going to step on an ankle or slip on a wet spot or whatnot in those things. And I think that's something that's concerning. But overall, look, you look at these two rosters, Boston's the better team. There's no question about it talent-wise on paper and everything that goes with it. You know, I, I always was picking Miami because Miami's the tougher team. But it was never about talent. I just didn't trust Boston, but if they're going to play the way they were going to play these last two games, that's a championship team. That's a team that can win a championship. When you watch the way Boston played game four and game five, it's it's we've only seen that so rarely in these playoffs that that's the problem. And it's, that's the concerning thing. Seth, how many times were we like on, on our, our playback stream saying, Hey, if Miami goes into half down just 12, they're probably feeling pretty good. And it's and, and and it's because Boston has given up so many leads and so on and all of that stuff. The inconsistency of being consistent is what plagues Boston. It wouldn't shock me if Boston's the first team to to overcome an 0-3 deficit. Because they're so freaking good. It just would piss me off because it's like, yeah, you should have shown up from game one. I mean, that's the thing about Boston. As you say, the way they've played when they're good is championship level, but it all counts. And they just, they, they, and they did this last year. Like when, when, like up until about, I don't know, five minutes left in, in game four of the finals last year, they had been the better team. And then over the remaining two point, you know, one game, remaining games, they were, they, they, they barely even finished second. And that's, that's the swings that they can have. And so, which one shows up on Saturday? I don't know. That's, like this is not a this is not a this is it, it's a weird mix because they're a very good front running team, but they don't also can't handle prosperity at times. So are they the team that shows up? That's had, have they had twenty or twenty one total turnovers the last two games? Is that the team that shows up, or are they going to have ten turnovers in the first half on Saturday? I mean, and that's the difference. And it was the difference for them last year. It was the difference for them the year before that. It, it's just like down the stretch of these games, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum sometimes forget how to dribble. Well, Jalen Brown never knew. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, but I think the biggest difference in the last two games is that Tatum has just been fantastic. Uh, had 11 assists in game five. And when he's, he was great. When, he, when he's making plays for them on offense and guys are moving without the ball, which just, you know, their offense stagnates so often. It's been our big 
pet peeve with their offense. But when he's dealing like that, they could beat anybody. I mean, he's just such a threat to score off the dribble that if he's also a passing threat, their offense just works better. They go through like a, actually a fairly normal cycle. They just do it on like hyperspeed. Like a lot of times <laughs> what happens is no, what happens is you run, you play good offense. You, you and then, you, you know, you get good shots and then you had a give a stretch where you're, you are getting good shots and you make a lot of them and everyone's feeling good. And then cause you're feeling good. Then the shots start to get a little more aggressive, but you're still feeling good. So the shots go in, they keep going in. And then all of a sudden the shots stop going in. And then you realize that you've gotten away from the, the process by which you you've gotten good shots. Now for a lot of teams, this is like a several week process where, you know, they're playing well, playing well, making shots, making shots. They're still making shots, not playing quite as well. Oh shit. We're done. You can see this happen on like a quarter to quarter basis with Boston. And, and there's been games early in the series where I think at the start of the game three, where they had, you know, great offensive process for like the first couple of possessions of the game and then never again, the rest of the game. Um, now, if they keep that up for a full game, dot, dot, dot. But we've been saying if they keep that up for a full game for four years. So let's see. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up that last point that this has been something over four years. This isn't a coaching problem. It's a player's problem. It's on them. They got to do it. They, they got to kind of make that stuff happen in that regard. Yes. I wish each coach had put in a system offensively that worked a little bit better for them. But like it's just a massive difference when Tatum adds playmaking to his his game and 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 showed it in game five. It opens the entire offense up for everybody. They were six to ten, I think, from three in the first or seven to twelve, excuse me, from three in the first quarter. And a lot of those were catch and shoot opportunities created off penetration and drives and and getting the ball in the paint and then kicking it out and things like that and movement. It was and transition, like all of those things. We've seen it too many times where they themselves are are grind to a halt. And I don't know how much of that is coaching because I also look at it and say, yeah, Missoula's learning on the job. He's coached his best two playoff games in games four and five of this series. And I think that's an important thing. Well, and that moves on to the next point. So first three games of the series, Eric Spolstra, who I think is the best coach in the league, I think pretty unanimous at this point. Um Thoroughly outcoached Joe Missoula. The big the big hubbub happens in the post game after post three, where Missoula describes like a disconnect, where he just feels like these guys, you know, he they're not on the same page. Everyone makes a big deal out of it. All of a sudden, Joe Missoula comes back. The last two games, he's much more aggressive with his timeouts, putting these guys in position to actually succeed, like drawing up plays when they don't have anything going. Mo, like, especially in game four, the one Jalen Brown's kind of pinned in the corner. They take a timeout, they come out, and they actually draw up a play for a three and get a bucket out of it. I mean, this is just night and day difference from Joe Missoula. He looked like a deer in headlights for the first three games, and now all of a sudden he's coaching with a little bit more confidence. So feels like something has changed there in the locker room. Yeah, and also, like, I think it's it's – him, I think also part of it, everything you said was important. And also, yeah, and his guys are playing better. Yes. Like that was my, that was the thing I found so unfair of the criticism of Missoula. And I've been critical all year of Missoula. Been crushing him a ton. You can go see everything I've written. And I, at the end of the day, it was the guys were not performing. Not to the level that we expect. Tatum finished fourth in the MPV, uh, MPV MVP voting. 
And he hadn't looked like that in the first three games as that type of candidate. Uh, Jalen Brown finished second All-NBA, uh, second team All-NBA. He didn't look like that for the most part of the, uh, the series. And I think that's, the, and then everybody equates that to coaching. Like sometimes the guys just aren't playing well. Like when your two best players are not playing well, shocker, you're going to lose. Miami's two best players have not played well the past games, four and five. Shocking, Miami has lost. <laughs> like it's it's just kind of, uh, the way it goes, those guys had to play better. And I thought Missoula was unfairly maligned. And yeah, he's a dumbass. He says stupid things at the press conferences and makes quibs about adjustments and whatnot and things like that. But he's also a 34 year old idiot. Takes a well, minute. <laughs> well, I, I also think, you know, you, you talked about training camp. I mean, Missoula didn't have a training camp uh, as the head coach of this team. And this whole year has kind of been. I, I we're not going to make excuses for him. They made him to the conference finals, right? Like this is a good basketball team and he's done enough. But I, I think the big difference that we've seen in the last two games has he's put them in positions to win, not just help them skate along before Seth, because Seth made a face. And I, before Seth makes that, that thing about making a face there, I just want to say what I've been saying and trying to hammer into people here is Missoula got this job three days before training camp. Will Hardy got the Utah job end of June or in June. Yeah. Right. Like just think about the preparation time Will Hardy had versus Joe Missoula. And I know he was part of the staff and whatnot, but Missoula was handed this job and he was already three, four months behind regular first year head coaches. And I think that's an important distinction there. And a lot of people feel like with this Celtics team, you can just walk into 55 wins or whatnot. That's really disrespectful, Kurt the the coaching and the players and the league itself you can't walk into wins in this league and we've kind of saw it this year with just how tough every night was for teams Seth now go ahead and you made a face yeah go for it no I am first of all I'm glad you brought up Will Hardy because remember uh you know kind of late summer last year we were we had talked about boy I hope they get this Donovan Mitchell trade done so Will Hardy can have a real training camp instead of being a substitute teacher uh, and I think this is this is why and I think that probably played a, a, a big role in, in Utah, like surprising some people this year, um, is actually having their team in training camp. Um, the second side of this is I think that I think that we are making – well, yes, I think Missoula has done a good job the last couple of games. How much of it is just the guys not throwing the ball around the, the oh, That's gym. a big – I mean, that's and, the biggest and, part of it. And, and making jump shots. And, and Miami starting to throw the ball around the gym and not making – like so much of – so much of this is like it's not it's this is this is not I don't feel like this series has been like super X's and O's. I feel like it's been team A plays good, team B plays bad. And it's it's been largely the Heat playing well, the, the Celtics playing bad in the last two games. It's flipped. And well, that's not cutting Missoula analysis. Has, but, but Missoula has called the timeouts much more in the last couple of games when they start to play bad. He's not just letting them play out the string. Seth, you could roll your 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 head at that one. He's done a much better job with it. It's and if you difference. go back, especially in game four, when he called timeouts and he got them refocused in whatever the hell he said in those timeouts, and there was a great mic'd up from game four with, with, with his timeout. I think the the he's the team has gone on runs, mm -hmm. big runs, you know. Uh, 18 to five runs, 12 0 runs after that. Like they, that's, that's the value of the timeout. Hey, 
guys, stop playing like dumbasses. Listen, could just see, be all you needed to say in the timeout, and that might have been I, what worked. Watching I, the Boston I, I, Celtics come out of a timeout that was called when they had nothing happening on offense, come out and run a play for a shot. That is that's a game changer. <laughs> I mean, then, that's how that's how like this team is just kind of operated, right? Where they come yeah. out and they run just one play, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it, it's a it's a whole new I, I world. Think we're, I okay, I don't I'm, I I I I don't want to dismiss what Mo is saying, and I agree to an extent. I think I feel like especially like the timeout, we're just making way more out of it. Like they, if you get beat by 25, you didn't get beat by 25 because you called a timeout. Two, two possessions late. You got beat by 25 because you sucked all night. And okay, so I don't, I, I, you're not wrong, but the, the, the level of emphasis that's being put on, oh, he called timeouts in the right spot. So therefore, blah, blah, blah. He called timeouts in the right spot. And also Jason Tatum was, was being a, was well, yeah. being a, a playmaker we're, instead we're of, not, uh, instead of, yeah. But we're yeah. not fighting that. We're not yeah. fighting that. But in the moments like this has been the largest complaint, though, in the moments when they've gotten away from what they've needed to do, he has stood on the sideline. Go back to that third quarter in game one, the 46 to 25 quarter. The only timeout Boston took was the mandatory one. Like it's not a it, it's it's that's the the stark difference in that stuff yeah you can call the timeout if the guys don't execute yeah it's a stupid it, it sucks but that's all the coach can do in that instance and i feel like that's the the thing and there were instances in game four and game five where i was looking at spo going like hey man time out your team needs one you need you, you, you need one they're important that's the that and the rotation is the only weapon the coaches have and that's the so when you use them is is the deal, and I think that's the important thing there, and how you use them, and and going forward. So I think it, I think it does matter. And yeah, the guys have to play better. That's the call, most important. Call a timeout thing. to get, get Jimmy Butler next a cup of coffee so he plays like with energy. Is I that, mean, that I was, mean, that's. But that's part of it. Sometimes yeah. it's a timeout and slap him in the face. Wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's well, the case. You know. Let, let's swing this to the Miami side of it for for a little bit. Um. We all agree that Boston has the superior talent. They have more talent. Uh, obviously, Miami's dealing with guys that, that have been injured, as we as we noted. Is there a point for Miami where this is just like too difficult of a task between losing bodies and just uh, being out talented? You're up 3-0, but it's a seven-game series for a reason. Like the NBA wants a seven-game series because it does favor the more talented team, the better teams. Like, is this just inevitably someone was going to come back from 3-0? And was this just too much of a talent disparity potentially for Miami if this winds up happening? I would feel more inclined to that if Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo had played well in games four and five. Especially like Butler had decent numbers in, in game four, but I don't think we really felt him. They were both pretty poor in game five. Uh, the last two games, after we've been singing Bam's praises for kind of consistently aggressive, he shot four free throws total in the last two games, including zero last night. And it was very much like observationally, it was very much back to the, oh man, this guy's gapping me. He's standing off of me. What do I do? I'm, I, I, I'm dribbling. I'm double clutching. I'm, he kind of had fake. a little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of a run of aggressiveness out of the pick and roll in the third quarter. But by that point, the game was largely over. Yeah, he, so, he hit like four straight buckets or something when, when the they're game down was out 15. Of hand. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, mean, I, I think I, to, to, but I think that the for the out talented, if your good players are playing well, like okay, the Lakers were out talented by the Nuggets. LeBron scores forty one, and it's still it's not quite enough. That's out talented. This is your best players. They might be out talented, but we'll never know if they're two all star guys don't play well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the... Uh, uh that's the problem for Miami right there, you know? And, and yeah, I think they started the series out talented and I think that they've it's those guys have played exceptionally well. Those role players have played exceptionally well. Uh, Gabe Vincent, who's obviously the injury after game four was a big one, right? Like that's a big hit for them going into game five and him being out. Caleb Martin has taken a couple of shots where Seth and I both have been like, all right, Caleb, you might want to chill. And then you have, other guys that have kind of just Max Bruce has been somewhat quiet. The best players in game five for Miami was Duncan Robinson and Hayward Highsmith. Like that's yeah. You're losing that game every time. If Bam and, and, and Jimmy aren't playing well, those guys need to be your role players in that stuff. Kevin love has been very quiet throughout all this stuff. And I think that's, I think that's the move we're going to see. That's the move we're going to see Miami make. Hey, we're not playing Kevin love this game. Or very, very limited. I won't be surprised if he doesn't start. Like, I just can't see a situation where they allow Kevin Love to just be a target right off the bat for Boston to attack like they did in game five. So I think those are the moves that we'll see in that stuff. But yeah, I mean, Boston has all the talent. That's why it won't be, it it wouldn't, I won't be shocked if they win this, if Boston wins this and comes back because they're just so damn talented. I'm just going to be annoyed that they didn't do this from the start. I'm going to be annoyed because I wanted the Miami Heat to sweep this thing. I mean, I, I actually thought it was a good story that that this team, um, this ragtag team behind Jimmy Butler w- was, was, you know, kicking everybody's ass. Um, but this is the Boston team that we kind of expected to see it, it, when we got here. So, okay. So no Kevin Love. That's, that's adjustment number one. Um, but what if Gabe Vincent's not available? You you just get to a point where Kevin Love is like one of your capable players. You're gonna have to play him, and then you're 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 stuck a little bit. Like, do you go Haywood Highsmith over Kevin Love? Like, are we at that point? I I mean, honestly, I think you do. The athleticism and just speed there. I don't think you he, he can inconsistency from a young player and a role player is normal, right? Like, I don't know if you're going to get the same type of game you got from him in game five for game six, but just athleticism length, you know, they're targeting Kevin. When Kevin love is on the court, Jason Tatum is just thinking, Ooh, lunch. It's like right there, you know? And I think that's something that they didn't do well in the first parts of the series that they're, they're going to focus on now. And I think the, um, I, I, you know, I get it. If Gabe Vincent doesn't play, I still don't think that means you have to play Kevin Love. It just means you're going to have to find ways to get creation from other places. Duncan Robinson off the dribble. You know, I think it's going to be one of those things. It's it's uh, Caleb Martin, Max Struess. Those guys have to be better. It's going to be one of those types of scenarios where those guys have to elevate and raise their game 
to another notch. I don't think Kevin Love helps him even with Gabe Vincent out. Seth, you got anything else on uh, the Eastern Conference Finals? Um, I think we do have to. We, we've talked a little bit, a lot about, um, you know, the Heat's guys not playing well. I think we do also have to. We haven't really talked about Boston's defense, and I think it's been much more locked in. I was just, I was, I was just looking up some stats. Miami hasn't necessarily generated the best shots all series, but they've gone from around 12 uncontested three-point attempts a game through the first three to uh, a total of 12 um, in the last two. So that uh, – um, Mo, have they stopped helping off the the strong side corner? Has yes. Boston stopped helping? Yeah, they've been they've been they've been much smarter about it and over rotating and things like that. It's almost flipped because now Miami has done that a little bit more often than than we're used to in terms of the over rotations and over helping. But I mean, they've done a much better job with that. I mean, they've they've gotten more discipline, but they're playing the passing lanes more. They're forcing some of these turnovers and getting out in transition like. Their offense goes hand in hand with their defense. And I think that's an important aspect for them is, and maybe that's one of the problems, but when their shots go in, their defense seems to be really good. And when they don't go in, their defense seems to be really bad. That's part of the problems for Boston. And I think that's one of the things to watch for in game six. If the shots falling, if the shots aren't falling, how's their defensive intensity and level at that point? I think that's the, that's, that's sort of the frustrating thing about this Boston team is that, most teams are sort of a range that, that they play across. Like some days, some days they're about an average. Some days they're like 75th percentile. Some days 25th percentile. There's no middle for this, the, the, this Boston team. It's like they, they win big or lose. And that, that seems to be almost that, that might be a little reductive, but that like, but isn't that is largely where they shooting live. the three point shooting, the uh, almost over reliance on three point shooting. You know, for this team, where if they this is very similar to the the Budenholzer Bucks, right? Like, if they don't make threes, can they win? That's the question. If in Game Six Boston comes out and let's just say they have a thirty percent three point shooting night, but they get the attempts up, right? Because that's also a big marker for them. Do they get the three point attempts? But let's say they don't hit forty percent. Let's say they only hit thirty percent of their threes. Can they win the game? It's can the question they, yes. is, do they play defense? Yeah, that's right. the that's the the thing. Yeah, do they, they lose energy because the ball hasn't gone in? Are they holding their heads down when the ball doesn't go in, or when they don't get a call, or when the, they they miss an so easy layup and throwing the their arms up and things like that? This no, make no mistake about it. The complaining has gone down in games four and five for them, and I'm you know Boston fans may not want to hear it, but that was a big change. I, I almost this, wonder if the early tech did them a favor. With Tatum picking yeah. that tech up. Yeah. And it was a garbage tech. We all know. Yeah. But like, yeah, it did cut out the arguing for, for Tatum in game five and that stuff. But it's an important aspect of it. And I think that's something there. And I think Seth's point is right. Very valid right there. If the shots don't go in, if they're playing defense, they're going to have a chance to win. The most frustrating thing for a coach and the message coaches give across the board, every league, every level. You have to be able to defend. Defense is 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 not predicated on whether you're making shots or not. You got to be able to defend. And that's got to be your intensity and your effort and things like that has to be there every time. The shots will come and go. And I think that's going to be the important thing. And that's the one thing with Boston that we've kind of seen throughout these playoffs. When the shots hasn't fallen, their defense hasn't looked great. And when they do, we see it and it makes a difference. So I think that's going to be an important one for them going forward. Yeah, it's a shame because like even in game five, 
their offense was fine, but their defense creates offense for them. You know, they, they have a, 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 the opportunity to disrupt passing lanes to, to protect the basket. Like they really can do every aspect of defense. Well, create turnovers and turn them into transition opportunities. And so, you know, you'd like to see them turn up the defensive intensity even higher when the shots don't fall instead of, kind of folding right. and, and doing the opposite because they really, they, they can win the game just on the defensive end. And this, and just one thing, this isn't, in, this isn't just exclusively something Boston. A lot of teams have this problem. Yeah. A lot of teams have this issue. It's just yeah. a lot of those teams don't have championship aspirations like the Celtics. Yeah. Um, should we talk coaching carousel briefly before we go guys? Yeah. Why not? Seems like the same group of people are up for all the jobs right now. Now, look, I will, I will admit the Milwaukee bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Phoenix suns, it's three teams kind of in a similar situation, right? They have some star players. They have championship aspirations. Um, it's a more veteran group of players. So maybe it makes sense that they're looking for guys that have done it before, but haven't we seen enough with some of these guys? Like, Doc Rivers is up for this Phoenix Suns job, Mo. And um, I don't know. Uh, is he going to trade for Kevin Garnett? I mean, <laughs> let me clear. I'm my putting my here, flame retardant uh, suit on. For, for <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go that hard. It's just the fact of like, haven't we seen enough of Doc at this point? As, a, as a, I mean, to the point where like he just continues to fail up into these unbelievable jobs, right? He left Boston on his own accord and and wanted to become the Clipper head coach because he thought he could win a championship with that team. Never got out of the second round with that team. Blew the two 3-1 leads. One in the bubble, which fine, whatever. Bubble was weird. We want to have that conversation, whatever. But blew the one against Houston in that in that area. Um, gets let go and or parts ways with the Clippers goes to Philly, another team that has championship aspirations right off the bat. What was a three, two lead in, uh, uh, in Atlanta in a series that they should have won. And we could talk about the Ben Simmons stuff, whatever, all that bullshit blows. I mean, it's, it's along those lines blows a three, two lead against Boston this year ends up getting, getting fired. And now you're looking, and Phoenix is going to look at that saying, I want to be in the Doc Rivers business. Like, and it's a lot of coaches. I'm, I'm, I'm picking on Doc right now, but it's a lot of the, the, we, the retread of so many coaches at a certain point, it becomes a problem. We've seen a lot of good young coaches come into this league with, with teams taking a chance on them. And yeah, they're not in, they're not high profile jobs. Right. But like, We've seen Doc take a lot of high-profile jobs and not have a lot of success. I don't know why you would look at past recency, uh, his recent run, and feel like, yeah, that's the guy I'm gonna get there. And I want to ding other coaches, you know. But I think it's 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 there's a lot of guys in there that that get these opportunities, these retreads. Mike D'Antoni's name being floated around for the 76ers, like really, really. Okay, now now Mike D'Antoni though. Eh you know, let me hear you out on the Mike D'Antoni thing. I I'd like to see an offensive genius coaching, you know, Joel Embiid just to see what it looks like, no, but, but that's not what they're doing. The head coach. That's not what they're doing. Well, what he was already wow. in Philly as an assistant to Brett Brown. Right. And all of that stuff. So you, he did have that a little bit of a run as an offensive, uh, uh, 
coach in that regard. But like, I think here's the thing, man, they're, they're hiring it to make James Harden happy. That shouldn't be your coaching hire. That shouldn't be your aim for a coaching hire in that regard. I feel like there's just a lot of good young coaches. Some of these assistant coaches, Jordy Fernandez is a, is a name, uh, uh, but it's Charles unrealistic. Lee. But it's unrealistic no. to to think that that they're gonna get a first time guy to coach like Phoenix or Philly or or Milwaukee. M- Milwaukee maybe out of the three would be the most likely, and, and I could see them maybe going with like Charles Lee, maybe like an internal but promotion. Dave, no, it's, it's unrealistic thinking that Doc Rivers is going to be is going to carry you to a championship right. when he's had championship rosters the past few years or close to it, and has not gotten even cl- out of the second round. And has a 16 to 33 record in closeout games. Which, by the way, uh, the rest of the league wins about 60% of games. So that's not just like, that's real bad that across the last 20 years, across the Doc's like playoff coaching tenure, he wins about a third of of the the games with a chance to close an opposition out and everyone else wins 60%. So it's it's, it's really quite bad. I wonder how much of it is. I can understand wanting like the stability of an established yada yada yada. Problem is, is of the established yada 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 guys, who's the? There's maybe one of them who you think, yeah, you know that guy. Just I have we haven't really seen like huge drawbacks from him, where you just have worries, and that's Quinn, and he already he's already taken. Um, I would probably say, uh, I would I would probably, uh, like say that. Bud is the least drawbacky of the of the of the rest of the carousel, um, but again, like like you say, it's like hey, we've we've seen this movie before, we've seen the same movie several times from each of these directors, um, so we know what they do. Always trying to tie in, you're trying to draw me into a movie discussion now, Seth. Damn it! Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, well, the issues there. But I, more importantly, I just want teams to think a little more outside the box instead of just constantly bringing in the same names. And this was an issue we've had for a long time, a long time. So many same coaches. It's just different, different place and same stuff and same situation and things like that. And sometimes it works and it makes sense. And you bring in this guy and boom, team takes off right away. But like there, I want teams, Dave, and you say it's unrealistic. I want teams to take chances. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 I think it's that stuff. I think, you know, there's a lot of really good young coaches that need to start getting those opportunities and retreads keep getting in the way. There's no safe way to win an NBA title. Right. Like if you're like you, Mo, you're talking about taking risks. Like this is, this is your, you are aiming for like the right tail. You're aiming for the best possible outcome. What is the best possible thing we can get here? And I think that the problem with a lot of these retreads is like, all right, we know they're going to be solid and pretty good. We know this. This is that's fair. But what's the what's the upside? What's the like, you know, the the most obvious one is, is again, as Mo was talking about with Doc, like, you know exactly where the line is drawn. And at that point, it becomes a problem. Problem is at the point where it becomes the problem is like the point you're trying to get to. So. Yeah, it's a different risk that you're taking, but you're taking a risk no matter what. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. 
Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Um, well, let's see. A uh, couple other things. Uh, the league has decided that they are going to come up with a system to punish floppers. And, you know, look, flopping, we, we hate flopping. We all should hate flopping. And now the league wants to try to punish floppers. Um, you guys worried at all that that's going to get in the way of game flow? So this is, this is, this is very similar to a, a suggestion that I've made uh, to folks at the league in the past. Uh, uh, not about flopping, but around like the incessant complaining to the refs, which is basically give the refs the chance to make what is essentially uh, the same call as a defensive three seconds. Like a technical, like a, it's a free throw. They can be a opposition keeps the ball, uh, and but it's not something that's going to kick you get kicked out of the game. We're not going to make it reviewable. It's hey, shut up, technical free throw. I can keep doing this all day if you want to keep giving points away. Um, now, is there a worry that like making a judgment call on a flop is going to either increase replays or blah blah blah? I don't care. Just make it a thing that is punishable and call it liberally, and the behavior will change. It's easy to say you don't care now about them to going to let's judge the review and the replay of the flop. And then, and then three straight possessions of um, think about a game with uh, Marcus smart and Kyle Dylan Lowry Brooks, Kyle Lowry. <laughs> I'm saying just think about your worst nightmare of floppers, whoever you all think is a flopper and think about them all on a team. And just think about like, okay, let's go back to review this. Let's go back and review this. No, I'm I, saying don't make it reviewable. Don't make it reviewable. Okay. Yeah. And just go with the judgment call and go from there. I'm fine with that. We just, I just don't want it to get to the point. I thought the fine system worked. I thought it worked for a degree and then they just largely stopped. And it just kind of went away with no announcement, was very quietly just sort of, Pushed aside, like, oh, we fixed flopping. No, we haven't. This needs to be a constant thing there in that regard. I don't, I do worry a little bit about game flow to stop everything for techs or whatnot. Guys will adjust, hopefully, but I still think we're going to have some weird instances in that regard. And I think it's, it's, it's tough in real time to figure out a flop. Officiating's tough. I hate to break this to people. Yeah. Like, this is hard. Some of well, it's obvious, some of it's very tough. If we were changing a bunch of stuff, I would just say, let's get rid of the technical free throw and just award a point 
to the team. It's a team point and just move on. That way we don't have to stop. It's a TV show, right? Like I don't want it to stop. Um, but another, I need the stats. I need yeah, the stat. If I don't, you don't care about those players, stats. Like, I, I care. care very deeply. You're making my life harder. Only stat life. I care about. That's win okay. or loss. Um, okay. All right. So and okay. another. Yeah, and they, so you're ready change. to you're ready to coach a hockey team then. That's it. Another potential change that affects coaches here. Um, apparently, the NBA is flirting with the idea of giving a second challenge if your first challenge is successful, um, which to me is annoying because, again, game stoppages are annoying. Um, it also it takes away some of the strategy of when to use that challenge, which – I think is also a mistake because that's become a, a secondary part of the game. Like it's been uh, the part of the coaching game though. Well, I think it's, it's reward you for being right. Like this is the complaint. I think a lot of coaches are like, I shouldn't use, I shouldn't one. Here's the, here's the pro side of it. I shouldn't think have to use my challenge on a call. You screwed up, right? Like that's kind of the deal. And now you screwed up. You agreed. You screwed up the call. The call was overturned, and now I can't challenge again. Like, I get that. I want to get rid of challenges completely. I'm out on challenges. I'm out on a lot of these reviews. I want the game to flow. Let's play. It's and Referees make a mistake. That's part of it. That's the way this goes, and that's the way it's always been. And I think, you know, we can try to get the refs to improve and get better. I'm going to be honest with you. Watch a college game. Those refs are worse than NBA refs. Watch a high school game. Those game, those refs are worse than the college refs. Like across the board, we can keep doing this. I just think like, hey, like I just want to live with the, all right, bad call didn't go our way. Let's go. I just want to cut out challenges together. But I understand the coach's frustration of like, I was right. See, and now right. I can't challenge again. Well, perfect is the enemy of good, right? And, and human sort of uh, discernment affects officiating, right? Like it, sometimes you're going to get things wrong. That's fine. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's good for the league because a controversial call creates conversation. Controversy creates cash, guys. This is just a known thing. Um, that being said, we have the technology to do a video review on every single play. Every single play. Every dead ball could have a review. There could be one person that just says, nope, uh, flip it. And it would take five seconds. We don't need this thing where the referee goes through the ceremony of watching it on the screen after we've seen it 17 times on the broadcast, you stop the game. The guys, I mean, if you're saying that you're doing it, so players get extra rest and it's not a timeout. Okay, fine. Just that's fine. It's better for the TV product in that sense. Maybe, but you're making me watch these guys look at a screen on television for like sometimes a couple of minutes. When we've already seen the angle, uh, Kevin Harlan's already let us know that the ball went off Anthony Davis or whatever it is that's happened. I just don't understand why we have to stop the game when there's a guy in Secaucus that's seen the play 17 times that could just relay that information. Also, the, the just sort of the, the way it works is is like, okay, I called a foul because he hit him on the wrist up top. Oops, that was all, it was clean up top. But look, there's some contact, like there's some 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 hip to hip contact down below. So it was still he still got fouled, just not the foul I called. But we're going to keep it like I I to I think you brought up a good point by the way, Dave, is that like you ask people well the most important thing is getting the call right. No one believes that. Cuz if you believe that then the let's review every call to make sure that's right. right. Like 
no, there's a balance between call right, fairness, keep the game moving because we're making a TV show. And I think that if we're going to add more challenges, then we need to find ways to make them faster, make them less intrusive, make, frankly, less silly up, upholding of, of calls that you see, like, may have been technically correct, but right. not actually, like, the thing that was called was the not actually. The spirit of the game matters with officiating almost more than any other part of the game. Like, for instance, guy going up for a rebound, the out-of-bounds call has always been on the guy coming from behind the back of the player going for a rebound. That is just how basketball works because he forced the out-of-bounds. Meanwhile, how many it's times have we watched on the video it's replay? You. That's right. That's our ball. And, it's our and ball. now we have to stop and just see, oh, well, it actually hit, you know, the player had a hangnail there, the offensive player or the, the defensive player going to get the rebound, and it came off his hangnail. I'm sorry, man. That's not basketball. Like, you got to call – like, the spirit of the game still matters, and, and those kind of calls matter. And flow of the game is the only thing I really care about. I mean, just my last point on it is yeah. if, if we did call everything – you hate free throws now. Just understand how many more free throws there'll be a game. Just understand that. Like, you want to talk about yeah. game people watch summer league games where they do I call mean, everything. Yeah, like it's it's High it's school. rough. It's rough in that sense, you know. And so I think it's there'd be a whistle every possession, every possession, and that would make it difficult. So I'm, I'm for it being a bit imperfect. Yeah, it's better. Um, anyway, that's a good place for us to wrap up. Uh, game six, Saturday night. I'm I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, for Seth Partnow and Moda Kill, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder, she wrote, on the Athletic NBA Show.